Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez alongside Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. And unfortunately, today we have to start out with uh, some news that we really didn't want to have to talk about. Didn't think we were going to be talking about at this point. But uh, Kale Gundy resigns from the staff at OU. And man, the last 24, 36 plus hours or so have been just absolutely nuts. At this point, pretty much everything's been said about how everyone feels about the situation, and I don't think there's a whole lot necessarily there to add. But, I mean, how are you guys feeling about where things stand at this point? Yeah, Adam, I think you're spot on. It's kind of everything that has been said or is going to be said is is out there. Um, I think we all expected the current and previous players to have tweets of support. Um, but at the end of the day, there's things you can and things you cannot do in today's age. And unfortunately for Coach Gundy, 20, 30 years of service to university can be gone like that. And that's exactly what we saw here. Um, Guys, I think if it played out a little bit different, maybe there would have been more patience or more, I don't know if forgiveness is the right word, but if you say a word like that more than once, you're done. And that's exactly what happened. And so if this was one of those things where he was reading off an iPad and it slipped and he immediately realized what he said and like, stop reading, didn't go any further, maybe that changes things, but you say it more than once in a setting like that in particular, there's no coming back from that. So a uh, really unfortunate situation. Cause I think any of us who are familiar with coach Gundy, um, know his track record OU. you, this is not the guy he is. Um, but I think the issue is going to be for everybody who doesn't know coach Gundy like that. This is going to be the main talking point in any of those conversations, specifically on the recruiting front. And you can't have that, um, not in today's culture. So to me, it's as simple as that. Very, very unfortunate, uh, for a while. I thought there had to be more to the story, something we were missing. We weren't, this is uh, pretty cut and dry. Don't know who necessarily had the final call on this. I think that's one thing that's worth speculation. But at the end of the day, this is not a reversible decision. This thing's going to stick and uh, really, really unfortunate. Yeah, we can uh, throw that rehire petition in the trash can. Um, it's sad that we're even have to talk, even have to talk about this tonight. Um, you know, I, I think I speak for I know I speak for the three of us. And I think for most of the fan base that we were all pretty sick to our stomach uh, at about 1045 on Sunday night when all of this came out. And, you know, it's just a just a terrible situation all the way around. First off, you know, I, I want to say that. It can't be said enough when talking about the impact that Kale Gunny has had on OU football, the University of Oklahoma, the entire Norman community, um, in both his time as a player, you know, back in the early 90s as a quarterback, and then, you know, spending the better part of the last two and a half decades as a coach here at Oklahoma, um, the conference titles, the hundreds of recruits, championships, All-Americans, NFL draft picks. When you talk about loyalty and um, an unwavering support of Oklahoma. You have to mention Kale Gundy when, when having that conversation. Now, with all of that being said, as bad as I feel for Kale and his family with what they're going through right now, and you know this is one that this one incident, you know, like you said, Corbin, you know, fifteen to thirty seconds cost him, you know, a thirty-year career at Oklahoma. Um, Brent Venables had no choice in my opinion, in this, uh, but to accept his re- resignation. When Kale's statement came out on, on Sunday night, and Adam, I'll throw the, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as well. When Kale's statement came out on Sunday night, followed by Venables' a few minutes later, I thought forcing Kale to resign was a little bit extreme if it was true that all he did was read something off of an iPad that a player wrote 
Um, that would have been something that I think he could have apologized immediately for. It could have been handled maybe internally, uh, and we could have moved forward with Kale still being a part of this staff. Um, I actually think, and we talked about this in the group chat, um, I think, Adam, you brought it up. I think the PR team um, <laughs> made a pretty big mistake by not having that first statement from Venables on Sunday night, including what eventually came out in his Monday statement. Um, after you know, after we got all the fan support and everybody was clamoring for Oklahoma to rehire this guy, it's not who he is, and that's not who Kale is uh, for, for those people that do know him. But um, I, I think that once it was known that he repeated the word multiple times, I think a lot of people's tune kind of changed a little bit uh, and realized as much as it probably hurt Brent and Joe C and you know many members of the senior level administration to do this, they simply had no choice. Um, there's no excuse for what he did, whether he meant to or not, and it's clear it was an accident. That's not who Kale Gundy is. You saw the former players, all the coaches, everybody that's been around him during his time in Oklahoma. Kale's a stand-up guy. He just slipped up one time, and it was a mistake, uh, and he's paying the uh, paying the price for it now. And again, I feel awful. I feel terrible for Kale and his family, but it had to be done. Yeah, unfortunately, the punishment doesn't really fit the crime exactly. And that's because the rules are set by the culture and the society that is just built in, in this country. And you can disagree with that or, or not like it, but um, it's the way it is. It, it sucks. Um, and you know, I don't want to get into the politics of it. We come to sports to escape all of that. Um, you know, in, in my mind, and maybe we, we don't know everything that happened in that room that day. We don't know exactly how it was said. We don't know exactly what all the context was. We know some of it, but not all of it. We don't know if players were offended right there in that moment, or if they thought it was funny and just moved on, or we, we have no idea. Um, you know, ideally you would say, Hey, this football program is run like a family. That wide receiver room is its own family. And, you know, I think the only way that maybe this could have been avoided is, you know, before they ever left that room, they said, Hey, we're handling this right here right now. And we're choosing to either forgive and never let it come out of this room or, we say, hey, you know, this is something that is a, a big deal and it still needs to be escalated and probably we get the same result, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, that's where we are here today. And, um, you know, you've got LaDamian Washington stepping in to that wide receiver coach role in an interim basis. Mm-hmm. doesn't seem like there's any indication that it's even possible or even being considered that someone else would be able to be brought in before the season starts. And uh, I think that's definitely a big concern because while he is a guy that Brent you know, identified and brought into this program that wanted to be a part of it. Maybe he didn't want him to be the coach, you know, year one, maybe it was two or three years down the line. Um, I know a lot of people are comparing him to Miguel Chavis, but that was someone that Brent intentionally said, Hey, I want him to be a position coach. Uh, Whereas Washington may have been a few years out from that. So how do you guys feel about, I mean, is there, are you as concerned as I am? Like just this guy's a total unknown at this point. There's no alternative. I think we can all agree to that. Like, you're not going to go hire somebody right now. Mm-hmm. So you might as well give him a chance, get him out on the recruiting trail, try to pick up any pieces that may be broken from all this, which I don't really think there's any significant pieces that will. I'm not saying a decommitment or two won't happen, but I do think you can recover from that. Guys, I, I, I don't know what, what else you can do at this point besides promote him to interim and just kind of mm-hmm. play it out for the rest of the season. I mean, we're 24 days away from kickoff. It's unrealistic at this point leading up to the season that we're going to go out and hire 
you know, a new wide receivers coach. You know, I know that Malcolm Kelly is is the the odds on favorite. That's the name that OU fans started clamoring for after the Gunny resignation was made, uh, you know, made open to the public. But there's no way you're going to be able to poach another coach from a from another team when the season starts. You know, just over three weeks away, um, it's a tough spot to be in um, for for the wide receivers on campus, but. Uh, trying to close out the 2023 recruiting class as well. And I know that that was a big part um, in probably the overall decision-making of this thing with, with Kale Gundy is, you know, being able to sit down in front of mom and dad and these recruits and always having that kind of black eye having to deal with as you try to get these kids to commit and come play at, at the University of Oklahoma. But uh, I think that LaDamian Washington, it's, it's, it's a really good fit. You know, he's been on campus since early January. He's learned the scheme under Jeff Levy, has a great relationship with the guys in that room. And I think it's a safe bet that uh, Washington is going to be the sole guy uh, for 2022, and uh, it's time to remove the interim tag. Yeah, I would say of, of any of the position coaches that maybe is a little, little bit easier. Like, you definitely don't want to lose your quarterback coach, your O line coach. So, wide receiver. Well, it's not like he lost it. a coordinator either. I mean, it's. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't think it changes a ton as far as what happens on the field this year. Recruiting wise, yet to be determined. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. But I think it's. There could be a lot worse uh, position. Recruiting, recruiting, yes, but I don't think OU is going to lose an extra game or win a game because, you know, Kale Gunny's in Norman. Yeah. I mean, yes, he was, you know, uh, and I don't want to say, you know, unreplaceable just because that's, that's what we're doing right now, but he was a valuable asset, especially in recruiting with his ties to, you know, not just Oklahoma, but the state of Texas as well. So, but, you know, baptized by fire, get thrown in the deep end, and we'll see if uh, Mr. Washington can swim. Yes or no, Cal Gundy is coaching in Stillwater next football season. No. I don't see why he would do that. I mean, if he resigned truly with the intention of, I want to do the best thing for OU, like, why would he go to OSU? Because his brother runs the team. Yeah, I think his size to Oklahoma are too deep. <laughs> I don't yeah, think and I think he has, he has the opportunity to go coach with Bob probably in the XFL for a couple of years, let this thing, you know, totally pass over and come back mm-hmm. to OU maybe in more like a staff type role. Because um, I, think, I, I think time will heal some wounds there. Yeah, and I just really hope that this this incident, this mistake that was made, I really hope that this doesn't tarnish his, you know, his reputation to where he's no longer a part of Oklahoma football, you know, moving forward because he is a huge part of the history of this place over the last twenty five to thirty years, and um, well, that, and, and it, he can't be for a while. Yeah, correct. I, I correct. agree, but I don't think that there's anyone that's truly deeply hurt. We haven't heard that from anybody inside the team. Everyone's just saying, "Hey, man." It, it, it hurts in the other way. It hurts to lose him. Like it was the right thing to do, but right. it hurts to lose him. And so I do kind of think that, Hey, this was almost more of like, it was the right thing to do. We can't deal with that PR type of situation. Uh, we can't deal with the recruiting backlash that that might bring. We have to cut mm-hmm. ties and maybe he comes back in something that's, that's off the field in the future, which would still, he'd still be very valuable in that role. So let's get into the fun stuff. Yeah, let's yeah, get into well, that. We actually <laughs> wanted to talk about this week. Yeah. Before we jump into that, um, I will give a little shout out to our YouTube channel. I'm breaking a little news here. I haven't told you guys this yet. There's some more Ooh. fun content coming on YouTube. Boy. If you like hype oh, videos, man. if you like some highlights, check that out. We'll also have our weekly uh, segment that we'll do that's from the podcast as well. So if you want to check out Tyler's fantastic mustache game, it's still going. What are we on, like week five or something? I, I trimmed it back it, well, I've trimmed it back a little bit on the sides because it's growing out here about three times the pace is let under it curl. the nose. So let, let it curl, let man. It curl. Okay, let it curl. Okay. We'll see yeah, how it looks. Go, go straight, 
go straight Hitler stash for a bit, and that that'll probably do the oh, trick. Man, man. <laughs> okay. We'll see if I can so, uh, break that out for Kent State. We'll see how that looks. <laughs> well, that's an flavor. easy transition into our uh, our mega team preview, as Tyler sure. calls it. Tyler, uh, drive us right into this here. Yeah, uh, I, I know that once we you know kind of laid out the outline, what we wanted to talk about leading up to the last five or six weeks of the off season, going into the start of the twenty twenty two campaign, you can't you can't leave out a mega team preview. Going you know position by position, talking about the new coaching staff, some of the new faces. There's a lot of new faces uh, up and down this roster at some key positions. So we're just kind of kind of dive into it uh, position by position. We're starting with quarterback guys and. Um, there's no quarterback competition this year. First time we've been able to say that in the last four or five seasons, no matter who's in that room. Dylan Gabriel, QB1, hands down, he's going to be taking the first snap barring injury against UTEP on September 3rd. So, guys, I think just flat out for this kid, realistic expectations in year one of the Dylan Gabriel era in Norman. Uh, Adam, starting with you, what can we expect from this guy? What are you expecting from this guy? Yeah, best weapons he'll have by far of, you know, any of the seasons at UCF, probably best offensive line, best running backs, you know. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would say, you know, it should be much better than his uh, freshman year at UCF, in my opinion. Um, he had some injuries that he dealt with, you know, in years after that where seasons were cut short. So we don't really have as much track record in, in those seasons necessarily. But I'd say, hey, it's year two in Lebby's system. It's his fourth year in college. Like, I think the dude's going to ball out. Does that mean mm-hmm. a Heisman top five finish? I don't know. OU as a team is going to have to help him get there, but I think he's got all the tools to really explode. And this will be a new offense somewhat for the big 12. I'm trying to think of, I don't think there's a single defensive coordinator that's still in the big 12 that was around when Baylor was running uh, those schemes. So it's going to be somewhat new to those programs in a way. Um, it's going to catch them off guard a little bit. The tempo that Levy's going to run this offense with is going to be something that's kind of new to the Big 12. I know that sounds weird to say, but we haven't seen that in the Big 12 in a couple of years. It's kind of been a little bit of a reverse trend with the defense mm-hmm. taking leads. So I think it'll be really interesting. I think it'll catch some teams off guard, especially early in the year uh, before there's some really good tape on, on Gabriel. So I think he'll have a great year. Yeah, Adam, I think you're spot on as far as having the best offensive uh, personnel around him. He's also going to be going up against better defenses than he was used to uh, at UCF as well. So I think it's there's some give and take there. Guys, if we're looking at stats, I'm looking kind of for a minimum of 3,200 yards on the season, uh, 25 passing touchdowns. That's kind of what I'm after. Compare his stats at UCF, taking those into account, also taking account the past few quarterbacks at OU. I think that's a decent baseline. I think that's a healthy baseline. Um, I think as a team, he should be leading this team to play for a conference title. Um, not necessarily win it, but at least put yourself in position to do it. Um, so that's kind of the expectations I have. There's a ton of question marks. I agree with you, Adam, that early on in this season, this could be the tempo, um, you know, the familiarity with Levy's system. That could be a really, really good combination to put up some big-time numbers. What happens down the stretch? When defenses get better, there's tape on them, this offense, can it adjust? Um, because as great as the up-tempo offense is, really hurts you if you're going three and out. And that is kind of the two-edged sword that you're working with here with an offense like this. So that's kind of my expectations with them. I do expect him to have a big year. Do I think it's going to be Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray status? Absolutely not. Um, But I do think you can have a really successful season if you're upwards of 3,200 passing yards and above 25 touchdowns passing. So that's kind of my expectations. 
Yeah, I think for me, it's answering the question, is the connection with Jeff Levy still there from their days together UCF? I mean, in those two seasons, you know, just over 7,700 total, you know, passing yards, 61 touchdowns, 11 interceptions with a QBR rating of 156. If Dylan Gabriel this season has a QBR rating of 156, uh, I think OU is not just playing for a conference championship. They're also in the hunt to make a college football playoff. Uh, but, you know, you guys both hit the nail on the head. It's it's almost like we're, you know, we, we do this show together each and every week. Um Dylan Gabriel being in Oklahoma, while it is a big uptick in competition at the Power 5 level compared to UCF, he's also going to be playing in front of the best offensive line he's ever had. Uh, He's going to be surrounded by the best skill talent that he's ever had. So uh, for me, Gabriel's success is going to be predicated upon Oklahoma's ability, as simple as it is, to consistently run the football. Um, Something that Jeff Levy's offense did at Ole Miss last year, I think it was 58% of the snaps uh, in all games last season. So we know Levy likes to take shots and push the ball down the field. So if Gabriel has those opportunities to push the ball downfield to guys like Marvin Mims, Jaleel Farouk, etc., I think the sky is the limit for what this kid can achieve this fall. Um, and real quick, guys, throwing this back over to you, Adam, you know, two things I'm going to be looking at that always tells me kind of what I need to know about a new quarterback under a new scheme with a new team. One, when he turns the ball over, how is he going to respond? Whether it's against UTEP, Kent State, or it is going to be up against Nebraska, how does he respond when he throws an interception or fumbles the football? And number two, how does he handle a hostile road environment? You know, we've seen some pretty pretty remarkable performances from new OU quarterbacks going on the road or into a neutral setting for the first time. Baker at Tennessee, Kyler at Iowa State, Caleb against Texas in the Cotton Bowl last year. We've obviously got UTEP and Kent State to work to take care of first, but that September 17th matchup in Lincoln is going to be a crazy atmosphere. I can't wait to get there, and it'll be interesting to see how Dylan handles it. And there really isn't any comparison that he's played in. I think his biggest power five games were like Pittsburgh, Louisville, and Georgia tech, not exactly the most uh, raucous crowds to go against. So I do think his style of play, you will have some big risk, big reward type plays just from watching some of his highlights. I think there will be some really bad interceptions, but some really incredible plays on the flip side of that. Mm -hmm. So if he can kind of limit that and, and that'll help him go a long way. And I think it definitely helps that he doesn't have to look over his shoulder or worry about another five-star that's waiting in the wings behind him. Um, He's the guy. So he can throw three picks in a game. He's still the guy. And I think that is kind of leads into our next discussion of, I think the biggest thing for him really is stay healthy. So if, he's not able to, or for some reason something happens suspension, who knows what could happen? Knock on wood, you know, don't want anything like that to happen, but who are you guys looking at in that second string position? Do you feel comfortable with any of these guys? Nope. I wanted to, I wanted to be booty so bad just for the, the opportunity, uh, TV, radio, uh, the puns that are going to get thrown out there. But no, to, to me, that's the biggest question mark about this entire position group during the, during the course of course of fall camp is who's going to be that number two quarterback. Uh, who's going to be the first player in reserve time to get thrown out there? Is it a guy like Davis Bevel, the transfer from Pitt, who has the most experience out of the other guys in this room? You know, he he played in a New Year's Six Bowl last year. Or is it a guy like General Booty, who from a talent standpoint, you know, just watching these two guys on film, um, maybe has a little bit more of an upside in both his athleticism and as a pocket passer. So uh, if General Booty can learn the system, uh, not turn the football over, I think that uh, – he has a, as good a chance as any just to mend his place at that number two spot. Yeah, I think Bevel's the guy probably right now. If if we had to probably pick somebody in this moment, does anybody disagree that Bevel's probably number two at this moment? Uh, Adams, I don't think it's Michael that Owens. clear. I don't think it's that clear. I mean, Bevel in the limited 
videos that I've seen of him on practice, he looks a little stiffer. I mean, he's like six, six, so he's going to be, um, and we do have some track record of him at Pittsburgh and, uh, I guess it's okay. Like we just haven't seen enough of him, but I don't know. He was the third string at Pittsburgh for several years. Yeah. So on the flip no, side, no Michael have, Bowen's love Adam. Uh, let me, let me get to that. Preseason so, prediction I, a few weeks but, ago. It was. And so that was actually before spring practice, before anybody had transferred into OU. So second string was totally up for grabs between Micah Bones and Ralph Rucker. And now, that you've, excuses. now yeah. that you've got other guys, it doesn't even make sense to like put those guys in the mix, which is, is kind of funny. Now it's I will say back to I reality, watched, Corbin. <laughs> I watched some uh, high school highlights of booty. And uh, yes, I practiced that line. <laughs> Dangerous territory. <laughs> but I mean, he's good. He, Alan, he was really good. Now, his path to get to OU is kind of unconventional going through junior college. So in some ways, that gives me pause. But I think in other ways, for a lot of fans, it's like, wow, it's total unknown. With Bevel, you have a little bit to lean on and be like, I don't know. He just didn't do much at Pitt. So with with Booty, maybe you think, hey, there's there's more to more to give there. And so maybe there's just someone that you'd want to see. Um, that was unintentional. <laughs> we just, now, Adam, you just <laughs> made my point for me why we've got to have Booty at the number two position for exactly. the puns and all that. There exactly. You and you you know like Toby Rowland would like totally say 10 things a game that he didn't mean to say but just sound He's totally already got the material wrote up. You know he does. I feel like Toby's the guy that would try so hard not to say something but then would eventually say it and it would be recorded somewhere. And There's nobody on the planet that doesn't want to see Booty on the field more than toby Rowland, right like you know it you know it. he he that has to be like he has to be loathing maybe, the idea of, of maybe gus john maybe gus johnson as charismatic and outgoing as he is i can I see know. him embracing it with that. i think you've got to i think you got to at this point oh, but gus isn't the ou guy that's the thing though so i think it's different but i don't know i think right now it's bevel but to me if you're talking about if gabriel has a great year this year and moves on to the NFL, that's where I actually think you probably give, um, you know, booty the leg up if uh, heading into 2023 season. You like that one? Yeah, that's good. You, let is. me ask you this one. If if it's mop-up time, and do, let's say Bevel is your second guy. He's the guy you would go to if you needed to win the game. But if it's mop-up time, would you go with more of a developmental guy in like booty or Evers just to try to get them some experience and see what you have there? Not based on what we've seen with uh, – Bevel. I think he needs all the time we can get. I think so. So okay. essentially, Adam, give Booty more reps to grow, basically. Yes. There you go. That's okay. that's the strategy that, is- that I would employ. Uh, Adam, let's- I will say researching high school booty illegal in most states, so be careful. And with that, we're going to transition to <laughs> DeMarco Murray's group at running back. Adam, <laughs> this is one where Adam, I think running back is, is could be the position group where you think has a possibility to be the biggest question mark on this team. So uh, just kind of your overall thoughts on running back. I mean, I disagree, but I also agree with you. Like, I don't know that Eric Gray is the guy. I'm not sold on it. I mean, his stats last year were, were rough. He got 85 yards in the Alamo Bowl just to push him over 400. He really disappeared, and that's kind of Lincoln's offense. Like, he usually found his guy and stuck with him by the time mm-hmm. the middle of the year came around, but – Eric Gray got every opportunity to take that job in the beginning of the season and just couldn't do it. And you can blame the offense all you want, but running back is one position where it should be the easiest, regardless of what type of scheme or, you know, situation, like all things equal. Kenny Brooks had to run behind that same offensive line, but he found a way to do it. So I have concerns there. I think Gray will be the guy first out of the gate there, but 
at the same time in Levy's offense with the pace and the style, I think that will help all the running backs and the offensive line, mm-hmm. especially. So someone's going to break out there. I'm not super concerned yeah. about it. Yeah. This is not the biggest question mark to me on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to get to that in two position groups. Um, but I do think gray has a breakout season. If you want me to be honest, uh, I think this fits him better. Uh, let's not forget I know we are kind of down on Eric Gray, but Marvin Mims outside of one game last year looked very human. And we, I think all of us agree he's a much better player. So I don't think the offense did hardly anybody any favors last season. So uh, taking, taking the lack of production with a grain of salt, uh, if this offense can get up and running, this is it screams Eric Gray. It does. Um, but time will tell if he can take that job. But I think all of us kind of have our eyes on Marcus Major. That seems to be the best fit. Um, can he take that step up? We'll find out that as well. Well, Eric Gray is definitely going to get the first crack at it. I think it's safe to say he'll get the first rep against UTEP. Um, I think one of the things that is going to make this position battle so interesting is, like what you said, Adam, it is the tempo. It is the number of plays that Levy's offense is going to try to put out on a game on a game by game basis. If you're if you're running, you know, up to upwards of eighty five to ninety plays, I think it's probably a safe bet you're going to rotate three maybe even four running backs in there especially once you get into the second half and want to keep fresh legs on the field um marcus major i mean we're, we're kind of at the point now right to where we we kind of feel like we know what this guy has but maybe the maybe the player on this offense that uh this coaching staff change maybe benefited the most was getting a new offensive coordinator in here in jeff levy that prioritizes running the football uh, so for Marcus Major this year, it's it's really kind of put up or shut up time. We we know we kind of know what to expect of him, but guys, for me, I, I've said I said it a couple of months ago. I said it right after the spring game. For me, the starting running back of this team uh, going into Texas, if it's not sooner than that, I think it's going to be Javante Barnes. That's how high I am on this guy. Um, and when talking about, uh, we'll, we'll kind of save this for a little bit later um, when talking about a bold prediction for the offense, but. I think Javante Barnes just kind of spoil it. I think he's the leading rusher for this team once the 2022 season wraps up. You still feel that way, even though I don't think he's practicing right now. I do, I do. Okay. Jeff Levy's offense. Who's your yards guy? Who's your stats guy? Yeah, so this is an interesting point. Jeff Levy's offense has never produced a rusher that has rushed for more than 768 yards. Mm-hmm. So he does rotate Red, a ton. Spread the wealth, absolutely. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna. I know I was a little bit down on Eric Gray, but I think he will get most of the reps against the softer competition at the beginning of the year. So I think that'll give him a leg up. I don't think Barnes will fully get ingrained in the team until probably that, you know, maybe OU Texas game, game right after or so. So I just think Gray will have the too many opportunities at the beginning to not be the yardage leader. And I guess for that reason, I'll also give him the touchdown uh, stat there as well. But I don't, I don't feel great about it. I just have no idea. One of these guys is going to step up, but I just don't know who it is. Are we saying just rushing yards is this all purpose? I'd say just rushing. Well, that changes my vote. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we're saying all purpose, yeah, I think Eric Gray is the the guy. Um, and yardage, I still have touchdowns to Marcus Major. He seems like the biggest guy of the group. I still think that matters when you get into goal line situations, which is going to happen. Um, so that's where I'd go. But if we're just going pure rushing yards. Yeah, you could look at a Javante Barnes by the end of the year. Maybe he has overtaken that spot where I think Eric Gray may be a little bit more out of the back, uh, backfield screens, uh, work him in a little bit in the slot. It's very possible. So, yeah, if we're going to kind of dissect this, Eric Gray all-purpose yards, 
Javante Barnes, uh, rushing yards, Marcus Major TDs would be the way I'd, I'd line up the stats, guys. Javante Barnes, all-purpose yards, rushing yards, touchdowns, all three. Number wow. one in those categories. Hot take, Adam. Hot save take. it. <laughs> yeah, I'll save that one. Wide receivers and tight ends. Mm-hmm. What you got, Tyler? Probably, Probably the position group where there is, in my opinion, there's the most uncertainty on this offense. Um, there's a tremendous amount of potential for me. Um, obviously, we've got the veteran guys in uh, Marvin Mims, you know, Theo Weiss. We kind of we're still kind of expecting him to break out. I don't feel like we've seen the full uh, full potential of what Theo Weiss can do. You know, obviously been battling injuries over the last 18 months. But um, I, I really can't wait to see if Jaleel Farouk can build upon his performance at the end of last season uh, in the Alamo Bowl. Who He was fantastic against Oregon. He's had a really good offseason from everything that we've heard. But then, guys, also look at uh, maybe a few guys that uh, that are new to the program. L.V. Bunkley Shelton, you know, out of Arizona State, a guy that had uh, his fair share of highlights uh, last season. They didn't prioritize getting the ball to him enough. I think that that's going to change with uh, the amount of plays that's going to be run. Levy really prioritizing throwing the ball down the field. I think Bunkley Shelton is going to have a chance to make an impact there. And then also look at a guy like J.J. Hester from Missouri. Uh, bigger frame kid could be a uh, you know possible red zone threat. Uh, a guy that OU looks to get the ball to inside the 20, maybe down by the goal line. And then I really can't wait to see what we're going to get from the two, you know, true freshmen, Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, two bigger body guys, um, two guys that I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, Kale Gunny was instrumental in getting those guys on campus here at Oklahoma. What can they do in year one as far as making an impact goes in the 2022 season? So uh, a lot of unproven talent, but a lot of potential, and I think a high ceiling that this, uh, this position group could get to. And we haven't even talked about Drake Stoops. Mr. Consistent, Mr. Third Down at seven, get your eight. Um, very excited to see what Stoops and these guys are going to do going into this year. Is Theo Weiss this year's Jaden Hazelwood? I feel like he's done more. Like his 2020 year was better than anything that Hazelwood put together. Mm-hmm. Hazelwood was pretty solid last year though, wasn't he? He had six touchdowns, three of which came against Western Carolina. Yeah. I could see... Th- I could see Theo Weiss being Baker's Jeff Bidette, um, where you might get a couple of big plays throughout the year, but he's kind of that safety blanket, you know, that third and five. He's a guy that can go get you six or seven. Um, a guy that Dylan Gabriel is going to feel comfortable throwing the football to if there's pressure, if the play does break down. So I'm ex- I really can't wait to see what Theo Weiss says this year. LV Bunkley Shelton had roughly the same level of stats as Mario Williams last year. Now he's not a five star, but Everyone's super pumped about Mario Williams. You know, he's got a ton of talent. He's a younger guy. So I'm curious to see what Bunkley Shelton can do. Mm-hmm. I'm not sold on Farouk just yet. I would like to see more. It, it feels like the classic guy that everybody talks about in the offseason. And then, you know, maybe they don't actually produce. But, I mean, he looked great in the bowl game. But it's like, why didn't he do anything else before that? I mean, yeah. there was there was not necessarily, like, guys wowing you at the receiver position throughout the year. So, why was it the receiver's be? fault, though? Yeah, well, that's the age-old question. Like, whose fault yeah. is it there? But, mm-hmm. you know, this, there's enough guys here that, you know, some someone's going to step up. And, I again, tempo tempo and pace, I think, is going to help serve this offense to get so many more easy completions, easy yards, mm-hmm. uh, getting rhythm for Dylan Gabriel and these receivers. So I think there's definitely a lot of easier situations for them to succeed in and, and get off to a hotter start. And I think that you'd, you'd like to think that Levy will feed the guys that are actually 
playmakers rather than totally ignore them and forget about them for games at a time. Well, and, and just like what you guys, I mean, just to echo the points that you just made, I mean, Marvin Mims was the best receiver on that team last year by far, and he finished the year with less than 40 catches, really only had one, you know, major impact performance type game, and that was against Texas, one of the best receiver performances, you know, in, in OU history, in my opinion. But um, I, I think that it, it is going to be, like we said, you know, running 85 to 90 plays, spreading the ball around. Dylan Gabriel is – I think he's going to give not just one guy an opportunity to, to have a big-time year. I think that being able to spread the wealth, I think that, you know, you could see two guys potentially reach that uh, uh, four-figure mark in total yards uh, receiving this season. Who we got for stat leaders on this one, guys? I think it's got to be Marvin Mims. For both stats and touchdowns. Oh, I mean, I wore I wore the T-shirt for a reason. I mean, it's it's got to be you know. Wow, we have one of those guys in the pod now. Awesome. I have not <laughs> to the offensive. Or Adam, go ahead, make make your point. No, I, oh, we got to get stat leaders here. I, I I agree with Mims. I think he's yards and touchdowns. A lot of people talking about Braden Willis. He's another guy that's like, man, if he hasn't done it by this point, mm-hmm. and I know he's had some injuries, but I just wonder, like, is what can he go from like a hundred yards? Kind of what he's probably been at the last couple of seasons, if that and can he go to five, 600 yards in a season? I don't know. That's yeah. a big jump. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how Levy utilizes the tight end position. I know that that's something that it kind of feels like, Oh, you got away from over the last three to four years. You know, when Mark Andrews was here, he was kind of a main focal point of the offense. And we've had, you know, extremely talented guys in that room, you know, Calcaterra, Stogner, um, you know, just to, just to name a few. And we really didn't feel like we maximized, uh, you know, the output and the potential out of those guys. So knowing that uh, Braden Willis chose to come back for his final season, he's going to be the go-to guy in that room with Daniel Parker to complement his efforts. Uh, I'm really excited to see what these guys are going to be able to do, especially in red zone formations where uh, Lebby likes to get creative. You got a stat yeah. leader, Corbin? Uh, I'm with you both, Marvin okay. Mims in both categories. Yep, but Tyler, shift the offensive line. To me, this is the biggest question mark in the entire offense. Uh, so curious to your thoughts. Very, very optimistic about it. There's a lot of experience returning um, in this group, both at the tackle positions, but then also on the interior as well. I think McCade Matower transferring in from Cal um, is really going to be the thing that sets this whole thing up, both from a starting five standpoint, but also from a depth, giving Beanbow multiple bodies uh, to plug and play across all five positions within that offensive line. You know, guys, we feel like we know what the starting five is going to be, but where does the added depth, where does the competition come from that's going to push these guys to get better throughout fall camp? And I said after the spring game, I think that there's two guys that you really need to look for, Savion Bird and Tyler Guyton. Uh, Tyler Gotten, Tyler Guyton, in my opinion, looked to perform like the best offensive lineman in that group. Six foot seven, three hundred fifteen pounds, moves like a tight end. I don't know if there's a player in Beanbow's room that has a higher upside uh, from uh, other than Tyler Guyton. Savion Bird is another one that we've heard a lot of really good things about. Uh, this guy towards the end of last season, and if you saw the picture earlier this summer, him standing next to Lane Johnson, you know Savion's got the body type of a day one starter in the NFL right now. So. It's all about him figuring figuring things out on the mental side, knowing his keys, learning his checks, and being consistent first and foremost. But I think that Bill Beanbow has got to feel great about the depth on the offensive line right now, knowing you've got Bird and Guyton ready to go if Anton Harrison and Wanye Morris aren't getting it done. And Savion is a guy you can also move down, move him inside at one of the guard positions as well if need be. Maybe I'm naive, but I'm optimistic about this group. And maybe that's Jerry Schmidt and them being in shape and being stronger and the 
like we keep coming back to the same thing, but the pace of this offense, like there'll be opportunities where they'll be able to fire out of their stance before the defense even realizes the play is going on. And so I do think that there's going to be some success. I'm, I'm optimistic about McCade Matower. I think he's going to come in and lock down one of those guard spots and we're not gonna have to worry about it. I think Andrew rain becomes a lot more solid, but then at the same time, I have to go back and look at last year and 2020 and 2019 and they're just, it wasn't there. So I guess you can go either way, but I am, I'm optimistic just because I feel like the changes for the off season for this team probably affects the offensive line more than any other position group. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll cede my time to Corbin, who I know has probably a little bit more stronger opinions on that. Just elaborating kind of on what you said, Adam, the, this is the single most, this is the single position group that has regressed the most over the past five years. And it's not close. We, we were complaining about quarterback play, running back play, wide receiver play, I think over the past couple seasons, not as bad as offensive line, not the trajectory it was heading on. So yes, the changes in style of play, bringing Jerry Schmidt back. Great. I think those two things are significant. Can they, can they be significant this soon? That's what I don't know. Can, can the improvements in the weight room, can the improved strength, all of these things that we've been hearing this off season, can that be enough this quickly? Or does the real offensive line jump come next season after two summers with Smitty? So I think that's that's my biggest question because guys don't have to tell anybody on this podcast or anybody listening to this podcast, if the offensive line sucks, the wide receivers suck, the quarterback sucks, and the running back sucks. And so this will decide the offense regardless of how fast you go, how many plays you're running, how strong you are. If you don't have it together, the entire offense doesn't function so to me there's not enough coming back and there's not enough proof in the pudding that just in one summer jerry schmidt can turn this entire group around we'll see i hope that's the case but we're gonna have to get through probably half a season maybe three-fourths of a season to really know once this schedule starts to stiffen up down the stretch can these changes that were made in the offseason, are they actually working this fast? And unfortunately, like I said, I don't think we're going to figure that out uh, too early on because there's going to be so many other changes that I think could mask some of the issues of this group that uh, will be interesting to kind of see how it plays out again, kind of going back to what we mentioned about uh, Dylan Gabriel. Once things are on tape, then how does this group perform? I think they're going to look good early on, but once things are on tape, can they still have um, you know the effectiveness that we should expect here at Oklahoma? Before we jump over to defense, what is your boldest prediction for the offense this year? Let's start with Tyler. Boldest prediction, um, <clears throat> the Sooners will have two 1,000-yard receivers this year, Marvin Mims and either Jalil Farouk or LV Bunkley-Shelton will be the other one. That's that's pretty crazy. I don't think that I've I've looked at Jeff Levy's offenses. And I have not seen two thousand yard receivers either. Um, so no, it's bold, Adam. A, a huge jump, yeah. Uh, for me, guys, this offense is the number one rushing offense in the Big Twelve. That is my bold prediction of the year. Even with Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez at K State, not even not even sure if I believe it. But if we're talking about bold predictions, like okay, let's get crazy. If that's the case, OU runs away with the Big Twelve this year. Probably. I'm going to say that this offense averages 40 points a game. I uh, I know that's not like super crazy sounding. It looks like Ole Miss averaged 33.69 points last year. Granted, that's Ole Miss. They're playing the SEC. It's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I think that 
I think that this is an offense that can average 40 and maybe they have to score that many, but, Mm. and there's always the balance of, you know, defensive head coach, high flying offense. Will he slow that down a little bit yet to be Mm -hmm. seen, but I think there's the tools there to score 40 a game. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. (laughs) Uh, let's transition over to defense, starting with defensive line. Tyler. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait to see um, these guys when we kick things off against UTEP. To me, this is the biggest question mark on the entire team, bar none. Um, how do you replace the production we got a year ago from guys like Isaiah Thomas, Perrion Winfrey, Nick Benito, three difference makers, all playing in the NFL now? We think we know what this is going to look like with Redmond, Ethan Downs, Jeffrey Johnson, but how talented and ready to go is the depth in that room? Jordan Kelly, Coe Roberson, uh, Leulu, uh, and my actually my sleeper pick for def- Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Stripling. I can't wait to see the effect this new scheme is going to have on these guys to go along with being coached up by Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis. So I'm I'm very very excited about this defensive line group. I think this is the biggest surprise group on the team when we look back uh, at the end of the year. I think this group shines. I think there are some unknown names. But I do think Venable's scheme and philosophy will open this group up to having a, uh, a really strong year. So I'm actually pretty excited about the defensive front uh, this year with Venables and Bates and uh, obviously Chavis at the helm. Mm-hmm. You're a lot more optimistic than I am. You can talk me into Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Marcus Stripling having great years. And I think those guys have the potential. They're highly recruited dudes. And I think that the Brent Venables defense will probably help them out a little bit with some of the exotic blitzes that he likes to run. But man, outside of those three guys, and I guess Jalen Redmond too, if he's healthy, he's a difference maker. Outside of that, I don't like the idea of leaning on G5, a group of five transfers in Jeffrey mm-hmm. Johnson or Jonah Luwalu. Um, Corey Robertson, Jordan Kelly, Isaiah Coe, Josh Ellison, those might as well be the same guy. I don't know that I can tell you the difference between any of them at this point. I know some people are pretty high on Isaiah Coe. He was a junior college guy that you know, is, is huge. And a lot of those guys had to change their bodies in the offseason. So I wonder how much that changes our perception of them. Like, does Isaiah Go- Co come out and he's an absolute beast because he is better playing, you know, up 20 pounds than he was last year? I don't know. But this is definitely the most concerning one. I think this is could be the position group that holds the team back. But, yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, there's some edge guys that you could talk me into. So I don't know. I'm going to have to see this on, one on the field. It'll be one that I'll be looking at very closely in those first couple of games. I think one big difference we're going to see with the defensive line, and I guess this can be the you know the length and girth report of the episode, is just Love the overall it. size uh, of this group. You go down the roster, not a single interior guy. Sits below two hundred ninety pounds. We've bulked up on the edge. Uh, a common thing, guys, that we saw you know during Alex Grinch's days were when we went up against teams with good offensive lines. Uh, we got bullied at the point of attack because of our lack of size. You know, Kansas State and Baylor from a year ago are just two examples. I don't see that happening moving forward with this new staff. Um, you know, Grinch's defense was more of just, I want to say, trying to create chaos by shooting gaps and getting into the backfield, whereas it feels like Venables' scheme is more relying upon, you know, like gap integrity, sound defense that's worked for decades, both in Norman and uh, in uh, Clemson, South Carolina. But Venables' scheme, as a quarterback, you can never really get a true uh, box count with a Brent Venables defense because there are going to be so – they're going to be so multiple up front, whether it's, you know, a 3-4, 4-3, 4-2-5. And, guys, my last little thing on this defensive line, I, I think that this front seven uh, is going to be a lot better than they were a year ago simply because they're going to be more disciplined in their assignments and they're going to be so much more prepared 
on a game by game basis going into each Saturday than they were a year ago. And maybe, you know, playing your best guys on key third downs that could possibly, you know, also help this defense out quite a bit in comparison to last year. You know, who knew, who, who would have thought? You mean it's not a good idea, third and 12, to send Nick Benino back in coverage? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, it's amazing what happens. Guys Adam, who are stat, stat leaders here. You know, I was just looking this up. I wanted to see what some of these guys had done last year, and I'm guessing there's probably not a ton of stats. Jalen Redmond, three and a half. Reggie Grimes, mm-hmm. two. Josh Ellison, one. Isaiah Coe, one. Marcus Stripling, one. I don't think – did Ethan Downs? He had half a sack. But he's who I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Ethan Downs. And that for me, it simply comes down to I think he could get the most playing time simply because I think he will probably be a team captain by just how mm. things are going this offseason. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that the coaches love. I think they trust him. I think he'll be very technique sound. He's totally bought into the culture. So I think he will get a lot of playing time. Is he the best player? I don't know. But there's I think there's going to be a lot of rotation here. Tackles for loss. I'm going to go with Jalen Redmond. Sack leader, I'm going to go with Marcus Stripling. I think that's pretty good. Yep. Uh, I've actually got Redmond for both. I think when he's healthy, he is the best, in my opinion, the best defensive player in this front seven. And so he can be a true difference maker. I think we have seen him obviously injured at times, some pretty significant uh, you know, injuries at times. But when he's on, guys, he's a really damn good football player. So I think if if Bates and Venables can pull the best out of him, which these guys know how to do, I think Redmond's in for a uh, for a breakout year. Linebackers, Tyler, what you got? Let's see. The first question you've got on here: If David Aguagbu starts over Stutzman, that means what? Um, that means David Aguagbu is probably an all Big 12 linebacker, and he's finally reached the potential that many people were excited mm-hmm. about once he joined uh, his his recruiting class just a couple of years ago. But yeah, he's been a guy, David Aguagbu, you know, just going back to Ted Roof last week, he was a guy that really kind of got a lot of individual attention. He talked about, you know, dropping 20 pounds. You know, he, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster, he's more cut up. Um, he's a lot more equipped now to to handle uh, the week in and week out play of being a middle linebacker at the power five level. And then as far as, you know, statistical categories goes, tackle leader, I'm going to go with Deshaun White in this one. Don't feel too good about it, but he did finish last year third on the team in tackles behind Pat Fields and Brian Osamoa. Osamoa is in the NFL. Pat Fields is at Stanford. So in this aggressive blitz heavy scheme that Ted Roof and Brent Venables are going to run, I'm expecting a big year from 23. Yeah, I've got Deshaun White as well as the uh, the tackle leader. Yes, it's highly possible that David Aguebu being the starter, he's finally caught up to the expectations that we've had from quite some time. The only possible negative of that is if Danny isn't there mentally to handle Venable's defense. So it is possible that could be a slight negative, um, but I think that's a really healthy competition between those two that should make them both better. Um, but everything runs through the linebacker core with, with the BB defense. There's a lot on their plate. Their heads have probably been spending more days than not in this off season. So a lot of question marks about this linebacker group. Yeah. David Aguebu lost 20 pounds in the off season mm-hmm. has been reported. And so I still think he's, he might be still bigger than Stutzman. I think just looking at the Clemson defenders in the past, I think Venables likes a little bit bigger middle linebacker. I do think whoever wins that role probably gets the majority of the playing time because that's the leader of your defense. You're probably not taking them off the field too much. 
Um, I also had Deshaun White as my stat leader simply because right now it looks like TD Roof is the one backing him up. And if TD Roof is getting <laughs> a lot of playing time, I think we're in big trouble. Um, no disrespect to the guy, but there's a reason he's a walk-on. Um, and don't don't it. tell Teddy Lehman that. <laughs> I was just, I, I, that's what we were talking I mean, about before we caught on here. I, I know he loves him, and I know Teddy knows a lot more about linebackers than I do, but being technically sound is not all that of the up? job of a linebacker. Like That is a really good thing, but athleticism and ability it, – it's also a big piece of it. And the ceiling for TD roof is much lower than a lot of other guys on that field. So it, to me, it's the equivalent of Pat uh, fields playing another season, starting at safety. There were much more talented guys behind him, and nobody pushed him. And that's really bad. If nobody's going to push TD roof out of a, a lot of playing time there. So Fair enough. let's talk cornerback first, before we get to the safeties, mm-hmm. you've got Woody Washington, pretty much locking down that one spot. Who are you going with opposite Woody though? I think DJ Graham's going to get the first crack at it. Um, obviously, uh, I think in fall camp he's going to be positioned, you know, at that cornerback uh, or CB one opposite of Woody Washington. But I think um, personally, if if he can build upon what he did in the spring, um, he looked good in the spring game. We heard a lot of a lot of coaches rave about this guy's performance and what he was what he was able to do in such a short amount of time as a transfer from the University of Louisville. Uh, I think that Kenai Walker, uh, just that with his size, stature, his speed out, out on the perimeter, both in pass coverage, being able to come up uh, and make tackles in the run game, I think Kenai Walker is a guy to keep an eye on uh, at that opposite safety or opposite cornerback position uh, on the other side of Woody Washington. Um, and watch out for a guy like Jaden Rowe. Uh, could could also be a sleeper. You know, probably DeMarco talked about the other day, probably the fastest kid on the team outside of Gavin Salchuk is Jaden Rowe, big frame guy. Uh, who's been working out at the cornerback position alone. So watch out for Jaden Rowe and Kenai Walker. I think they could be pushing DJ Graham this year. And that's what you want, guys. Yeah. I think this is the group that maybe has the most, uh, I don't know, hype's the right word or not, probably most hype around them of of any of the position groups. People seem to be most confident in this cornerback uh, room in particular. There's a lot of unproven – you know, hype uh, that is being associated with this group. So I'm not quite as high. Maybe that's the past 10 years of OU defense, maybe giving me a little bit of a keep it at arm's distance, all this excitement. Uh, So I'll believe it when I see it. But Tyler, I think you hit the nail on the head with all the guys that, um, you know, you should probably keep an eye out for. But all the the potential in the world with this group, a lot of guys, a lot of experience, uh, super athletic, some young guys who should be able to push these older guys. But we got to see it. I do think DJ Graham gets first opportunity here. And to me, he was a guy that came into 2021. Everyone thought he was going to be a star and he had the great interception against Nebraska and was kind of just okay at best from that point on. So if, uh, if Jay Vali can help unlock that full potential, I think that puts this defense in a really great position, but I also look at the rest of this line of this lineup here, Connie Walker, CJ Colden. I don't know. I'm not super wild by that. I, I'm on record as saying, hey, I'm not a big fan of G5 transfers. Those typically are guys that come into a situation and they're maybe a little bit overmatched. The one exception I make to that rule is if you come from UCF and you're a quarterback and I want you to do well, <laughs> then I make an exception. But um, yeah, I'm not not super big on that. Maybe he pr- proves me a fool and that would be awesome if he did. But um, Love that. Uh, yeah, I, I just I feel like DJ Graham's the guy to beat there. Um, mm-hmm. Got to keep his mom happy, so uh let's let's talk wish him a happy birthday damn it (laughs) let's talk safeties here we've got the strong safety free safety and then that cheetah position so 
I know Tyler, you've got some big thoughts on, uh, on that cheetah role. Yeah. Uh, the cheetah position is going to be one, like, like I said earlier, uh, Venables is going to be very multiple, um, with uh, a lot of the different packages, a lot of the different personnel groups, large in part, dependent upon what the opposing team is doing, what the, uh, down and distance markers are. But I, I think that it's probably fair to say that the two guys, um, to start out at free and strong safety is going to be Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence. I think Key Lawrence is back to what he was doing at Tennessee, being you know back at that safety position, not being asked like what we've seen over the last couple of years, going all the way back to Mike Stoops and even with Alex Grinch, taking your best players in the secondary out of their natural position, throwing them over there to cover up a weak spot or what's been known as a liability. So I think that Key Lawrence is, is poised to have a big year. And the, the exact same reasoning for Billy Bowman, a guy that was – uh, kind of thrown into the fire last year, having to play three different positions in the secondary because of injuries, because of lack of production by other members of the team. So I, I think the Billy and Key are poised to have a big time year. And then that cheetah position, Adam, this is one where I think Venables has a chance to go a lot of different ways with this. And like I said, a lot of it is dependent upon what the situation in the game is, what the, uh, you know, the down and distance is. I think the Jaron Canick in my position, I think that, even though he does not have the same amount of experience as a Justin Broyles, as a Shane Witter, I think that as an athlete and as a the instinctual level of a football player, IQ level, uh, I, I think that Jaron Canick, having those first two games against UTEP and Kent State, he's the best overall athlete. You brought him in for a reason, Venables did. I think you throw Jaron Canick out there, snap one against UTEP. Let him grow. He's going to have some there, – there's going to be some growing pains. He's going to have some struggles. But I think that from the, the complete – both in pass coverage and the ability to play up uh, towards the line of scrimmage, I think that Jaron Canick serves better um, than a five foot ten Justin Broyles or a five foot nine Trey Morrison. Uh, so I think you throw Jaron Canick out there week one and uh, let's go. Yeah, I think uh, I won't add too much to that. I think this is the year that Key Lawrence finally starts being what we hoped when he transferred in from Tennessee. I, I think Tyler hit the nail on the head. This is is his breakout year to me. Um, I think that is his position locked down, no question about it. So, um, yeah, to me, this is a, a big year for Key coming up, but Tyler hit the nail on the head with the rest of it. Yeah, I would echo those same things. The uh, the other position there is Billy Bowman or Justin Broyles. I think there's been some talk about whether Broyles is maybe a nickelback, that cheater role. And that cheater role can change depending on situation, down and distance and so forth. So you could see a totally different body top types like Jaron Kanak, does not look the same as Justin Broyles. But yeah, as good as he was and an improvement that we saw last year towards the end of 2021, and he played some of his better games of a sooner career there. It's another situation that's like somewhat similar to TD roof. In my opinion, like Billy Bowman is the better athlete. He has the higher ceiling. He has the, the more potential there. So I think you need to find a way to, to try to give him every opportunity to take that job if you can. So um, that's where we'll go there. Before we get into our boldest predictions uh, for defense, let's get our stat leader here. Who do you think leads this team in interceptions? Uh, I'll kick it off here. I think Key Lawrence simply because I think he's going to have that position on lockdown, and uh, I think he'll have the most opportunities there. Yeah, I'm going Woody Washington. Um, two interceptions a year ago. He's back fully healthy. A lot of people are very excited about him. Jay Valai has raved about this kid, what he's been doing this offseason. So I think that uh, him being – that guy that you can trust to be out there on an island. I know that that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a matchup that a lot of opposing quarterbacks are going to try to take advantage of with their number one guy. And I expect Woody to hold up and lead the team in interceptions this year. Got Woody as well. 
Nice. <clears throat> Bold prediction for defense this year. Let's start with Corbin. Top two in turnovers per game in the Big 12. Nice. Speed nice. Bold. Yeah, Speed D is back. <laughs> Takeaways equal victory. There you go. Um, oldest prediction for me, I'm just I'm going to go way out left field in this one. I'm going to say Oklahoma will have two first-team all-Big 12 guys on defense. Both of them will not be on the defensive line. That's pretty good. I don't think that's like super crazy to, to yeah, think. That's I, bold. I think it would be pretty good. I'll give you a bold one. <laughs> Justin Harrington finishes this year as a starter. I don't know what position that will be. There's a couple different ones you could look at. I think he could play corner. I think he could play any of the safety positions and definitely that nickel position. He was a guy that stood out to me in that spring game, and he's fighting and clawing for everything that he has at this point. He, uh, in the spring game, created a, a turnover right there at the goal line. He's kind of a unusually long body type, length and girth but also has incredible speed, which we think he still has after that ACL tear. He kind of, to his own fault, floundered last year, it seems, and basically walked away from the team, had to beg to get back on this team. And this is his last chance. This is his last chance of you, essentially. And so mm-hmm. he's, this is his last year of eligibility as well, I think. So if he wants to do anything you know, in football past this point, he has to start putting something on the field, really, in my opinion. And so I, I think he has the most fire under his belly to, to get there. And it will probably take a couple of games, but I think he's going to be hard to keep off the field if he really is that talented. Did we go through I was the last one, I guess. So that's, that's everything. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. also, let me also pose this question to you. I think, Tyler, you wrote this one down. I really liked it. What's more likely, the top five offense or a top 40 defense? It's really tough. That is that is really tough. Um, I feel like both are realistic <clears throat> for this team. I know it is year one of Venables, year one of Jeff Levy. Um, if I had to pick, I'm going to go top five offense. I think that the, I think the pace at which this team is going to play, kind of like what you talked about earlier in the episode, Adam. It's kind of, it's been a long time since Big Twelve defenses have had to deal with the, the same <clears throat> pace of play as like a 20, 2011 or a twenty thirteen Baylor when Art Bryles had that thing humming. Um, so I think that Dylan Gabriel, if if this team can stay healthy and the offensive line can play as well uh, as we you know project them to do, uh, I think that this is a top five offense nationally. And Dylan Gabriel, if this is a top five offense nationally, Dylan Gabriel is going to be in New York. I don't think you can have both of these. <clears throat> my personal opinion, I think if the offense is humming, it, it provides too many snaps for the defense to cover. And if the defense is really, really strong and you're seeing them break in the top 40, maybe they've slowed down pace offensively a little bit. I don't know if it's possible to have both with this style that Levy's playing with. I could be wrong. I'd love to be wrong. But my gut says, even though I think Venables is going to let Levy have his way, he's still a defensive-minded coach. So I think what's more likely is a top 40 defense and probably like a top 10 offense. Jeff Levy had a top five offense in every season that he's been the offensive coordinator. That includes uh, installing that offense for the first time at Ole Miss. So I think that uh, is a pretty good track record to lean on. So I will go with top five offense. I'm looking up as we speak right now, actually, Corbin, in 2019. It was just a random year. The first year I picked up for Clemson, number four in total offense, number three in total defense. That is pretty incredible. That was a pretty I mean, historic team, though, too. Yeah, yeah. That's true. 
are pretty damn good. <laughs> let me so, let, let me put I a, think we're there. Let me put a twist on that question for you guys. Put your put your fan hat on for a second when talking about the overall. You do act, this better than anybody, Tyler. So okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> when, when talking about the the overall outlook and the direction in which this program is heading in year one of Brent Venables. Would you be more optimistic about the direction this program is going if this team has a top five offense or a top 40 defense? Which would you rather have? It's got to be the defense. Depends on right? how far, it depends on how far off the other one is. Okay, let's just say, would you rather have the number five offense or the number 19 defense? Which is going to make you more excited? It's got to be defense, right? I will say with Venables as the head coach, I know the defense will get there eventually. So if they're 45 this year, I'm not super concerned. I know they'll get there eventually. The offense is something that I, and I think they will with Levy, but longer term, like what are they after he leaves? He will at some point, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's kind of like, who cares at this point? As long as one of them's coming, like we're going to win a lot of games. Yeah. Let's cool. go with that. Yeah. That's yeah. all I've got, Adam. Close us out. I yeah, take my well, fandom hat off now. <laughs> yeah, it was very objective before that. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the Mainline Podcast this week. We'll be back again next week. Are we doing? Are we doing national or we're doing Big Twelve? We're doing. I think we're doing Big Twelve next week, uh, recapping some of the teams there. So we've got a few more things in the works as the season approaches. Longest month of the year, it feels like, but we appreciate everyone joining us and that uh, is along for the ride. Make sure you follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. And we will see everyone again next week on the Mainline Podcast. Bye.